I can do all things through him who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13. It's common enough that if you go through a Taco Bell drive-thru at 9.30 in the morning, the person working in the drive-thru even knows it because they've heard it before, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. And as we think about this verse and how it's used in our context today, it's pretty easy to understand that it actually becomes all about us, right? So if you've been an athlete, you're probably like me, and man, in high school, you were like, oh, I can bench press through Christ who strengthens me, or I can win this wrestling match through Christ who strengthens me. Fun fact, I got it tattooed on my body when I was 17 years old. Yeah, and I didn't know Jesus, so that's another story for another time, but it's common enough that people will take it out of context and make it about them, right? I can ace this test through Christ who strengthens me. I can get this job through Christ who strengthens me. But what happens when we make it all about us? What happens when it's about what we can do, what we can have, what we can get? We want more. <laughs> we are discontent, we're dissatisfied because more is a desire that never ends, right? You've experienced it. You've gone, you've got the new iPhone, and you're like, oh, this is the best. I got the new iPhone, and then you're like me, and you drop it, and it shatters. Or Apple releases a new iPhone two months later, <laughs> and your iPhone is no longer new. Uh, you have a friend group. Someone makes you upset, and you say, I'm going to go find a new friend group. And then, guess what happens? You find out that they're jacked up too, just like you. So you become discontent in your friend group. Or you change your major, right? You found a major, oh my gosh, I'm gonna love this job. And then you realize that this major has mundane tasks, just like your last major. And you find out that jacked up people are in this major with you and you're gonna have to work with them someday. And so you start to think through, oh, maybe I'm not gonna like this either. <laughs> this is a reality, you guys. There is more to do, more to see, more to accomplish in our world than ever before, and we are bored, we are dissatisfied, and we are frustrated. So what we need to look at tonight is answering this question of contentment. Is life just this constant longing for the next best thing? Can we even find contentment in this life? That's what we're going to learn about tonight. So open up with me to Philippians. That's where we're going to be. I'm going to give you just a quick context of who's writing and what's going on here. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to this church in Philippi. This is a church that he planted about 10 years prior to this letter. And the church in Philippi is very near and dear to Paul's heart. They have supported him in his ministry more than any other church. And this is the only letter that Paul writes in the New Testament where he is not rebuking, right? He's not correcting a church. He's not correcting a false teaching. He is simply saying, thank you. <laughs> thank you for supporting me. I appreciate you. It's considered his most joyful letter. But what's unique is Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome. We are going to learn something about contentment from a guy that is chained to a prison guard in Rome writing to this church in Philippi. So uh, we're going to start in Philippians 4, 
verse 10. All right, Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So verse 10, Paul, I kind of spoiled it a little bit, but Paul writes to this church in Philippi, and he says, thank you, kind of, <laughs> right? He says, thank you for supporting me in my ministry, but I want you to know uh, your little gift basket, that's not what I'm reliant upon. <laughs> so he says, thank you. I appreciate your support. But who's he rejoicing in? Not in the Philippians. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's rejoicing that God would give the Philippians this heart to support him in his ministry. And then he goes on to say, but this is what's actually going on in my heart. And we're going to learn three lessons. If you're a note taker, uh, we're going to learn three lessons about contentment tonight from Paul. And it requires us to dig into the text a little bit. It's not something you would see necessarily if you just skimmed through this. So I'm just going to walk through them with you. And we're going to learn about contentment. Sound good? Yep. All right. Uh, lesson number one, contentment is learned. So we see this pop up twice. Verse 11, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret. You are discontent by nature. That's probably not surprising to you. Just like you don't have to teach a little kid how to cry or whine or complain, I don't have to teach you how to complain. <laughs> it is part of your DNA, and this stems back to the garden. Adam and Eve are in the garden from the beginning. They're walking in perfect intimacy with God. He has given them this beautiful, delightful garden. He says, here is all of creation. Rule over it. Enjoy it. Eat from it. Just don't have tree, this fruit from this one tree. That's all he says. Everything else is yours. You have perfect intimacy with me. You have perfect intimacy with one another. And actually, you have perfect intimacy with all of creation. Just don't eat from this one tree. In enters the serpent. And in a moment's time, what was once this incredible, vast garden has become a cramped backyard. It's become about them because Satan says to them, are you sure? Well, you could become like God if you would just eat from this tree. And their eyes instantly come back to themselves and they say, wait a second. Yeah, I could have more, more. This, this desire for more stems back to Adam and Eve. And guess what? You and me, when we are born, that's in our bloodline. We need to learn contentment. And when Paul says learn, he actually uses two different words. So in verse 11, when he says learned, Paul is saying intellectually, we have to learn what it means to be content. So what this means is 
Contentment is against our bend, but it is from God because our sinfulness is against God. So how do we learn to be content? Paul did what we would do. He looked at the prophets. He looked at a prophet by the name of Habakkuk, right? And I'll pull this verse up for you, Habakkuk 3, who is looking at the Judean countryside. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. He looks at Psalms of David. Psalm 4-7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Psalm 63, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Paul says, I know that I have to learn the truth of God in order to counteract what's actually going on in my mind. Intellectually, I have to learn what God would have for me. And the Bible, the truth, the word of God says, man, God is better than food. God is better than provision. God is better than comfort. God is better than life itself. So Paul is learning intellectually, but his learning doesn't stop there. In verse 12, he uses this word learned, but he borrows it actually from pagan culture. And I'm going to read you the definition of what that word learned means. The initiatory rights required of any person who wished to enter into the secrets and privileges of the mystery religions. So these pagan religions would say, hey, you have to go through this initiation to figure out who our God is and to have access to him. Paul is like mimicking and mocking them. And he's saying, I have been initiated. <laughs> I have experienced this. It's not just knowing the truth. It's experiencing it. How many of you guys have uh, been through an initiation? Okay, I'm not going to ask what happened to you. It's probably not to be shared in church. Um, but as I started to think through this concept of like what we know in our heads versus what we experience, uh, something that has popped up recently on, on my newsfeed is this idea of men going through a labor simulation. So in this room, how many of you know that childbirth is painful? Raise your hand, right? Okay, okay. Yeah, intellectually. <laughs> I shouldn't say experientially. Okay, intellectually, how many of you know that childbirth is painful? Yes, okay. How many people in this room know experientially that childbirth is painful? One lady in the back. Yeah, because she's given birth to a baby. But the good thing is, uh, we have a video for you guys to show you just, just a glimpse. All right, you get the idea here. Uh, this guy says, I've watched my wife give birth to a couple babies. I know what to expect. And at the end, he's like, <sighs> like, can't talk, right? They went from knowing intellectually, like, hey, childbirth is painful. And they just went through a simulator and they have new perspective. Paul himself is able to say, hey, I've learned intellectually 
that God is better than food. God is better than joy. God is better than possessions. God is better than anything this world has to offer, including life itself, because he's lived it. Paul has lived it. He's experienced it. But how has he lived it? Lesson number two, contentment is not found in our circumstances. So we see in verse 12 that Paul talks through these two different aspects of life. He says, I know how to abound, right? He's learned the secret of having abundance and need, and he's also learned the secret of being brought low, facing hunger. Contentment is not found in our circumstances. What's actually really unique in this story of the Church of Philippi, you can read this in Acts 16 for yourself, but uh, the first convert in Philippi is this gal by the name of Lydia. And what you need to know about Lydia is she is a dealer of purple cloth, which was a sign of extreme wealth. She was a wealthy businesswoman who Paul shared the gospel with. She came to know Jesus, and she's like, hey, Paul, you and your homies can hang out at my place. He's like, sweet, right? As a missionary, he's living bougie lifestyle, and he's, he's being treated like a king. He's eating whatever he wants. He's got it good. And you're like, sure, easy to be content like that, right? Actually, having plenty is oftentimes the hardest place to be content. Because with this desire for more, it's like you get a taste and you just keep eating. How many of you guys have had uh, Ben and Jerry's, a pint? Okay, how many of you guys ate it in more than one sitting? Oh my Lanta, good for you. Okay, Ben and Jerry's for me, it's like, oh, look at this. It's like 1,200 calories, I'm not gonna do it. And then before I know it, I take like 14 bites and it's gone. <laughs> it's like, what just happened? You take a bite and before you know it, it's gone. Well, it's funny when it's ice cream. It's a lot less funny when it's your paycheck. My first two jobs out of college, uh, first I worked at Shields. I worked in retail, managed an exercise department, and made a decent in income. Wasn't something to brag about. Uh, but then I got recruited to work in insurance, and I was like, sweet, I'll work in insurance because guess what? It came with a pay raise, y'all. And I had student loans to pay, so I'm like, What's up? Give me an insurance. Um, I got a hefty pay raise. Um, I mean, for me, it was hefty, 10 grand. And I was like, sweet, this is going to change my life. 10 grand a year? How much more can I do? How much happier will I be? Guess what? It came to the end of the year, and I was seriously like, what happened to that money? <laughs> it, it disappeared. My life was equally miserable. <laughs> and... I constantly wanted more money. I came to realize that in plenty, it's not easier to be content, it's actually harder because you just want more and more and more. So how does Paul exhibit contentment in plenty? Well, if you look in Acts 16, at the very end, he leaves Lydia's house, he leaves Philippi, he leaves this mansion for what? to go to Thessalonica and to be chased out of the city by a mob in the name of Jesus. Paul is able to say, hey, Lydia, your house is sweet. 
Your food is good. Comfort is great, especially for a missionary, <laughs> right? But this comfort, this money, this food, it's not my God, right? I still got to go to work for Jesus. And if Jesus tells me to go to Thessalonica and to preach the gospel and to get chased out of town by a mob, I can do it because it's for him. So facing plenty and having contentment looks like being open-handed, being willing to walk away. That's how Paul showed it. But again, he has had little. As much as he has had plenty, so much more has Paul experienced poverty. He has lived a difficult life from the time that he got converted on the road to Damascus. He was a dude that persecuted Christians, spoke against them. God radically changed his life, and he said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you whatever the cost. And I'm just going to read from you guys, read to you guys from 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is a text that was written about five years before this letter to uh, his letter to the Philippians. And here's what he says. You know, servants of Christ, I'm a servant of Christ. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That's 39 for those of you that aren't good at math. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 12, he's pleading with God to, to save him from his, his weakness. God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We see this guy who has been greatly persecuted for following Jesus to the point of being beat, being stoned, being shipwrecked. And he says, I'm content. Maybe your translation in 2 Corinthians would actually say, I rejoice. I delight in my suffering. How the heck is that possible? <laughs> How the heck is that possible? If you're anything like me, you haven't come close to experiencing that type of suffering. How is Paul able to experience that and still say, I delight? Lesson number three about contentment. Contentment is rooted 
in Christ. You see, in Paul's plenty, his contentment was not a possession, but a person. In his lack, his contentment was not his circumstances, but a savior. Paul came to know Jesus Christ, the son of God, who Paul tried for so long to earn the favor of. We read in Philippians that Paul was this hyper-religious, hyper-zealous guy who was persecuting Christians for the sake of trying to honor and appease a God. And God came to him and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He opened Paul's eyes to the truth of the gospel, which is this. Paul, you are jacked up. Dude, you are a sinner. You are in desperate need of a savior. Paul helped kill people, you guys. He was a desperate sinner in need of a savior, and he was trying to appease this God. He was trying to follow the law, every single one of them, working hard. And the good news of the gospel came to him and said, Paul, the good news of the gospel is that you can't earn your way to me. That's why I sent Jesus Christ for you. <laughs> it's not about you earning your way to God. It is about God sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, down to earth to die in your place. And Paul surrenders. He says, God, woe is me, right? He falls on his face and the scales fall off his eyes and he can see clearly now that Jesus is the son of God. <laughs> that Jesus died on the cross in his place to pay for his sin. And that's not all. Jesus rose from the dead three days later to declare victory. Victory over his sin. Victory over Satan who is coming against him. Victory over death itself. Paul is able to say, Jesus, you have given me life, eternal life. And so oftentimes we think about eternal life being a quantity thing. Eternal life is a quality thing. And Paul says, all this time, I felt the pressure of trying to earn my way to you. But you loved me while I was an enemy. You died in my place. And Jesus, you have set me free from my old life. You have set me free to live a life of freedom, an abundance of joy. Paul's greatest treasure is Jesus. And what you don't see in this text is that the word content is another pagan wordplay from Stoic philosophy, which was super popular in Paul's day and age, which says this, here is the secret to contentment. Your personal will. Suppress your feelings. You can do it yourself. Just don't, don't feel joy. When joy comes, just don't feel it. When sadness comes, just don't feel it. You have control over your emotions, so suppress it. Self-sufficient. That's what the word content translates as, self-sufficient. Isn't it sad that we do this? Far too often we do this, you guys. 
we try to be self-sufficient in our contentment. I'm going to give you guys a glimpse into my college years, my early college years, and something tells me that it's going to resonate with you. I sought contentment in relationships. New friend groups, multiple women, because I thought that my relationships were my value. I thought my relationships showed my belonging. And then I came to know Jesus and he says, hey, it's not about the approval of man. It's not about women liking you. It's not about friends loving you. Jesus Christ, the son of God, loved you while you were an enemy. And you want other people to know you? I know you. I know you better than you know yourself, even your junk. And I love you. I stopped seeking contentment in my relationships and started seeking contentment in Christ. I abused substances, alcohol, tobacco, because what? I wanted to feel, right? I wanted to feel satisfaction. But what did it do? It left me empty. My well ran dry. Every weekend I would wake up with a hangover and what would I do? The only answer was to go back for more. And it left me empty week after week and I came to know Jesus and just as he said to the woman at the well, he's like, hey, you keep coming back to this well for buckets of water. I am a spring. I am living water, right? Come to me. You will thirst no more. I experienced that. In 2013, I was 21 years old when I came to know Jesus, and I stopped finding my contentment in substance abuse. I wish I would have learned it sooner, but money, you guys, it's sneaky. As a Christian, I was deceived into thinking that money was my security. It became about my dreams, my visions, wanting to have the ideal family, the big house, provide for my kids. It's not a bad thing to want to provide for your kids, but when your money becomes your God, you are in trouble. <laughs> because guess what? Money can be taken from you in a heartbeat. You could get diagnosed with cancer and your money is gone. That's a reality. You could be like me this last week and have to pay taxes to the IRS. What's up with that, right? I'm preaching a message on contentment. And the IRS is like, what's up, Jordan? Pay up. I'm like, sweet. Now I get to practice this really well. What you are putting your contentment in, if it is not God, is going to sell you short. Because here's the deal. You were made by God for God. If you didn't know that yet, you know it now. You were made by God for God. And he has placed this hole in your heart that if you're trying to fill it with other things, it's like a vacuum. It's going to be empty. There's this quote from Augustine who says, Restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. Restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. When you come to know Jesus, your poverty is no longer troubling. And your plenty is really no longer impressive. Take it from a guy that's experienced it. Not just Paul here in this letter. Take it from me. Lasting satisfaction requires knowing a loving Savior. That is a fact. 
And if you try and find contentment in anything other than Jesus, you will be left empty. But I promise you, if you would commit to knowing God, not just intellectually, experientially knowing God, you will find contentment. The point tonight is this. True contentment is found in Christ. Or put another way, knowing Christ is knowing contentment. That is a fact. We're going to play a little game of fill in the blanks because I know you guys are getting rusty. You know, you haven't been in classes. You haven't been taking tests as much. So we're going to play a little game of fill in the blank. Um, I'm going to start with one that is fun, and then I'm going to punch you in the gut a little bit. Sound good? All right. Here's the first fill in the blank. So every good teacher uh, gives away the answers on the study guide, right? So uh, can I have the first one, which is, yeah, there we go. Jesus plus blank equals blank. Here's the deal. If you fill Jesus plus something, what's on the opposite side, what's on the equal side is nothing. Jesus plus something is nothing. Jesus will not accept being a tag on or a tag along in your life. Hear me when I say that. Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Jesus plus nothing is everything. You have to find your full satisfaction in Jesus. And here's what it looks like. Fill in the blank. I don't know your answer, but you do. If Jesus comes to you right now and says, drop blank and follow me, what are you having a hard time letting go of? What are you having a hard time letting go of? That is how you can find what you are making an idol of. If Jesus were to come to you and say, hey, drop your relationship and follow me, would you cling tightly to that? I told you guys I worked in insurance, and I'm going to try not and nerd out too much, but there's this practice called root cause analysis. Yeah, bear with me. I'm going to make it easy for you. Your answer to this, you need to keep asking more questions. And it's five questions. Why? Five times. <laughs> That's all you have to do to figure out what is at the heart of your ability to let go. If Jesus says, hey, drop this relationship and follow me, and you say, no, why? Well, because we have a history. Okay, why is that important to you? Because he knows me. Okay. Why is that important to you? Well, we've been through a lot. Okay, why is that important? Because he, he knows me and that's how I experience love because we've been through it all together. Okay, why? You keep going down and down and down and it ends with this. I find my feeling of worth and my feeling of love through another person. Wow. Maybe God is calling you tonight to let go of something that has become your God. That is not inherently something that comes at you and is screaming in your face and saying it's your God, but you are finding contentment in something less. Would you be willing to at least be open-handed with it? Right? I had a conversation with a student just this last year 
who had a deep passion for coaching athletics. He did not yet know Jesus, and he said to me, so you mean if I follow Jesus, I might have to give up coaching athletics? And I said, maybe, <laughs> right? I don't know what God's going to tell you to do, but if he says, drop coaching athletics and follow me, are you willing to say yes? And if you say no, then you don't know the same Jesus as me because he's worth it. I'm not telling you that Jesus is saying break up with your boyfriend, but if he is telling you to break up with your boyfriend for the sake of following him, are you willing to say yes? That's what you need to start wrestling with tonight. All right. This one is maybe a little bit more uh, prevalent. I would be satisfied if I just had blank. Man, this one was hard for me. I would just be satisfied if I had more time. Why? Because then I could be more productive. Why? Because I could get more stuff done. Why? It would make me feel good. Why? Because then other people would see me as high capacity. <laughs> other people would approve of me. Other people would think highly of me. And I would find my purpose and my ability to do. That's what's going on in my heart. And Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? You're trying to find your purpose and what you can do rather than what I've already done on your behalf. Lay that down at the foot of the cross. What are you finding your contentment in tonight? As we leave here tonight, we have to be people that sit on this and say, Jesus, your word is true. And if it's true, it should change the way I live my life. But what does that look like? First and foremost, if you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you are like me who grew up your entire life in the church. And you have claimed Christianity for so long. You know all the Sunday school answers. You say Jesus, right? Yep, been there. But you haven't experienced it in your life. I beg with you tonight. I plead with you to surrender, to seriously just let go of trying to be your own God. It is exhausting, and it will leave you empty, just like me. Don't wait until you're at rock bottom to come to know Jesus. Don't wait like me. Don't wait until you have suicidal thoughts. Don't wait until you think you have no other way out. Jesus has come for you, and he has given you a good word tonight to say, man, I can be your contentment now. If you just let go of trying to control everything and know that I'm in control, you can trust me. Surrender to Jesus. If you've already surrendered to Jesus, you have a next step to take. We're going to leave room on the tail end of this message to start to think through those fill-in-the-blank questions. Drop blank and follow me. What is that? What is it that you feel like God is telling you to let go of or at least be open-handed with? Or I would just be satisfied if I had blank. What is it that you're after? What false finish line are you putting out in front of you that even if you accomplish it, it's going to be met with un unmet expectations? What is it you're striving for? You need to confess that to community. Find a faithful friend. Find somebody you can talk to and say, hey, this is something I've been after lately. And I want you to remind me what is true. 
And if you're on the opposite end of that confession, you have application too. Remind them that Jesus is better. <laughs> Be the loving friend that says, hey, I see you. I've been there before. But guess what? Jesus is better. You don't need to find your contentment in a relationship. You don't need to find your contentment in COVID ending. You don't need to find your contentment in securing your dream internship. You don't need to find your contentment in graduating on time. Jesus is better. And if you have Jesus, you have all you need. Be the friend that would tell the person across from you that. In Salt Company, part of being content is not complaining. Okay? Part of being content is not complaining. What do we need to do to not complain? We need to know the truth. Commit to memorizing the scripture verse that reminds you what is true. I would recommend Psalm 63.3. is one that I talked about earlier, the Psalm of David. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. This is a dude that was being chased by his own son, running for his life, and he says, hey, I think I'm about to die, but guess what? Your steadfast love is better than life. So even if he kills me, sweet, let's go. I got Jesus, right? Memorize a verse. And when you're prone to complain, say it out loud. Be somebody that is speaking the truth of God over yourself. In Salt Company, if we live this out, we are going to look radically different than the world. We are going to make much of Jesus by being bold and generous and plenty right? When good things come our way, when comfort is our friend, when we have all the possessions we need, we would, we would stand with a posture of open hands. And we'd say, God, this is all yours anyways, right? Take it if you want it. It's all yours. I'm all yours. It would look like going to difficult places. And obviously, that's, that's a question mark right now. But thinking about the nations, right? Salt Company, values reaching the nations because Jesus values reaching the nations. And if the time comes where he says, hey, go to China, go to Malaysia, go to Africa, go to India, because people there don't know Jesus, are you going to be willing to say, all right, here I am, Lord, send me. Even if it costs me my summer internship, even if it costs me financial security, because Jesus is worth it. And when we lack or have perceived lack, we would be bold and joyful in lack. And as much as in plenty, our posture is open hands, in lack, our posture should be arms raised. Just like Paul, praising God. This looks radical because the world around us is going to complain and say boo-hoo, but we have Jesus. That should have an amen on it. We have Jesus. And if Jesus is all in all, you have everything you need, no matter your circumstances. You can survive your trial. You can survive your poverty. You can survive lack because you have the treasure of all treasure, Jesus Christ. So, company, let's be a people that are content in Christ. We can be independent of our circumstances because we're dependent upon God. Amen? All right, let's pray it out.